Amen. Open your Bibles, Matthew chapter 25. We're in this series on the parables. Parables of Jesus will be in this up till Advent season. One of the joys of being a pastor is having a front row seat to like threshold moments in people's lives. Some of my favorites are weddings, like being at those moments with some of you who just in the past couple years have become husband and wife and just participating in that. It's a wonderful thing as a pastor to, to be in those and just enjoy those celebrations. Well, doing this now for 24 years, somehow I got inserted into what's called the Indianapolis Wedding Circuit. I didn't know there was such a thing. So I, somehow when you do a lot of weddings and a lot of venues over the course of time, your name just kind of gets around and somewhere my name got out in the channels that you can call Pastor Eric if you don't have anybody to marry you. In other words, there's a lot of couples around who go to venues who've got an amazing ceremony planned, but they've kind of overlooked one thing. They don't really have anyone to officiate the ceremony. And it's about 10th on the list for some, and they don't have a family pastor connection or whatever reason, and so I'll randomly get called in. Now, these usually come in website or sometimes phone call or sometimes phone call from a phone call, and it's usually short notice at times. Like, hey, you know what? Like two weeks from Saturday, we've got like 300 people showing up, and it's going to be amazing, but we don't have anyone to kind of lead it. <laughs> so... A couple years ago, I got put in one of these scenarios. Uh, it was like a two-week notice thing. I show up at the venue. I'd never met the bride or the groom. Never met them. Show up 30 minutes before the ceremony. Meet the bride. She's typical bride nervousness. We go over a few details. Got that nailed down. I said, hey, where can I find the groom? She says, um, he's in the men's room. I said, okay, but where can I, like, I want to talk to him. No, no, that's, that's the groomsman's room. Uh, that's a little odd, but. So the groomsman and the groom are in the men's room. So I go back to the about 15 minutes before ceremony time. Now I walk in, sure enough, the groom's there, groomsmen are in there, and the groom is exceedingly fidgety, more nervous than normal. Kind of, I introduced myself, and he's trying to stop me before I could even meet his groomsman. He's like, pastor, pastor, we got a problem. I was like, okay, what's the problem? He goes, I forgot my pants. I looked down at that. I hadn't really looked down at his pants at that point because he had a nice suit jacket on, nice pressed white shirt, nice tie. I looked down and he had blue jeans on. That ain't working. I mean, blue jeans is more working with it. And he said, um, yeah, I, I forgot my pants. And he said, and the ring is inside the pants. So I said to him, I said, wait a minute here. I said, we're I said, we're 10 minutes before the start of the ceremony, 150 people gathered out there, and you're telling me we got no pants and no ring. Outstanding. This is really going well. Really going well. So I, I think, so he says, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? So I looked at the best man who's standing there just staring blankly at this scene. You have picture all of us standing in the men's room having this conversation. And I said to the best man, I said, hey, I want you to go out into the gathering. I said about 150 people or so in the room. I said, this guy's about six foot, about 185. I said, go find somebody in the gathering who's got some black slacks on and bring him to the men's room. <laughs> okay, okay. So he goes out there. Less than five minutes later, this gentleman is escorted in by the best man. And I was hoping he'd find someone who was like really closely connected maybe to this whole scene. So he brings in this guy who's like a friend of a friend to the wedding. Like, doesn't really know the groom, doesn't really know the, I mean, he's just kind of there because of free food and a nice party. One of those guys? So we do a quick introduction. 
He's standing there wondering why he's standing in the men's room. I said, sir, it's nice to meet you. We need your pants. <laughs> True story. There's no way I can make these things up. I mean, how does this happen? So he just stares at me. I, I had to repeat it. I said, no, sir, I, I'm serious. We need your pants. Look at the groom. Look at your trousers. We got to swap. Go in the stall. Get your swap done. So they go in the stall. They get their swap done. He goes back out in the gathering with the blue jeans on, has a seat. It's now the music's playing. You know, here comes the bride time. And I just take my wedding band off right here. I said, hey, you got pants, and now you got a ring. Let's go. Ceremony's unfolding. I'm convinced no one in the gathering, apart from the groomsman and that guy, knew anything about the whole suit issue. And I'm convinced the bride had no idea. Until when? Until I got to the part of the ceremony where I said to him, place her ring on her left ring finger. And he reached down. And he slid this, this is just kind of a naked gold band here. This is no bling going on. And she looks at him. <laughs> Ladies. He had the, I mean, this was one of those looks that's like 10 years worth of looks, stored up look. <laughs> like, you got to be kidding me look. Like, you know where you're sleeping on your honeymoon night look. And then he shot her the look back like, there's really no way to explain this to you. Just go with it, look. So we finish this ceremony. We do the whole ring ceremony, pronounce them husband and wife, and sign the wedding license, and I'm just getting ready to leave uh, the venue. And I had to go to the bride. I'm like, um, I hate to kind of state the obvious here, but can you give me my ring back? She falls it off. She just you know, she got this, gives it back to me. I said, hey, you can talk to him. He'll, he'll fill you in. It was, it's, a little, it's a little active right before the service. You might want to ask him about that. So the parable we're in today. You wonder where in the world is he going with it? As old African-American preachers would say, stay with me. I'm coming to your neighborhood. I'm coming to your neighborhood. Stay with me. The parable we're looking at today could be subtitled, I Forgot My Pants. <laughs> Matthew 25, Jesus is given a parable. This is about a time when he's going to blow the trumpets and say, the end has come. You know that time's coming, right? What did Jesus say? As surely as you saw me go, Acts chapter 1, I will return. As bloody as the cross is, as empty as the tomb is, Jesus says, that's how secure you can be, that I will come back. I will come. Church, do you know he's coming? Do you know he could come today? Because he said, what? Don't get preoccupied with when, which boy, do we need a PhD lesson on that. Don't get me off on that trail today. Right, how many, especially during election year cycle, we got all kinds of people predicting when the end's going to come. Jesus said, hey, don't get preoccupied with when, trying to figure all that out. Anyone who slides a little piece of paper underneath your windshield wiper and has the date figured out, I guarantee you what day he's not coming back. He's not going to validate that whole wacko scene going on. 
He said, you're not going to know when, but here's what you need to know. I am coming. And to help you get ready, I'm going to tell you a story. Do you know there's no storyteller like Jesus? He's the best storyteller in the history of the world. 30 plus parables, some of the most amazing stories the world's ever seen. And here's one, a parable about a wedding. Matthew 25, verse 1. The kingdom of heaven will be like. That's what a parable is. So a parable is a story that's tossed alongside a real life experience and to help draw out an application about what life with God is about. That's what a parable is. Story from everyday life, helping you connect the dots to what life with God's about. Kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here comes the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, hey, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, Go to, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Verse 10, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. So this is a story about the danger of procrastination. The wisdom of preparedness and the urgency of today. The danger of procrastination. The wisdom of preparedness and the urgency of today. And the setting is a wedding. Now, a wedding in first century Palestine, a lot different than our weddings today. So a wedding in the first century would go on for multiple days at a time, and it began with a waiting period. The waiting period would have the bride and the bridesmaids at the bride's parents' house, and they're waiting for what in the story? They're waiting for the groom to come. So the groom gets to dictate the time schedule of the whole wedding experience. Is that anything like North America? Guys, is that anything like North America? A, a groom is the prop at best on the day of, a little bit in line with the flowers and other things. But the bride, right, the bride is centered on everything's around the bride schedule. I mean, I get the, the wedding planners will email me the schedule for events. It's an unbelievable spreadsheet of activities, almost all centered around the bride. But in Jesus' day, first century Palestine, it all started with the groom and a groomsman was gonna go ahead of the groom at a time when the groom determined and announced to the bride and the bridal party and the bride's parents, here comes the groom. That's what verse six is. About midnight, the cry rang out. Here comes the groom. He's coming to receive his bride. And they didn't know when that was gonna be. Some grooms came early, some delayed. This particular story, Jesus has them coming around midnight. Well, the bridesmaids at the house were supposed to be ready and prepared 
readiness in that day meant you had a lamp, the lamp on your notes, the lamp up here on the screen. This is what a typical first century lamp would look like. It would be filled with oil. It would have a wick at the end, and that would be lit, and you couldn't go out into the streets after dark without a lamp. If you didn't have a lamp lit, you weren't going out. A lamp with enough oil indicated preparation and diligence, responsibility. If you didn't have a lamp and you didn't have enough oil, it indicated negligence. And in Jesus' story, five of the bridesmaids, they're ready. They're prepared. Their lamp's filled with oil. They don't know how long the groom's going to be. But when he comes, they'll be ready. Their lamp will be lit. It's going to burn white hot. And then five, I don't know. They didn't have enough oil for their lamps. And then... When the groom comes and they're scurrying about because they got to get some oil, because they got to get it lit, because they have to go in the streets to receive the groom, and they're away getting their oil. While that's occurring, the groom comes, banquet begins, doors are shut, and they hear, they hear two of the most sobering phrases in the English language. The five who didn't have enough oil. Too late, if only. And they learn that some things in life just can't be borrowed. You know that, right? There's just some things in life you can't borrow. I put in your notes, you can't borrow character. You can admire and appreciate someone's character, someone's integrity, someone's generosity. You can respect their character, but you can't claim it as your own. You can't say, hey, he lived his 20s a whole lot better than I lived my 20s. I'm going to take his 20s and put on my 20s. It doesn't work that way. You can't borrow faith. You can admire someone's relationship with God. You can appreciate it. You can have respect for it. But you can't claim their relationship with God as your own. You can't borrow that. You can't borrow time. We can reminisce, right? Reminisce about great memories from the past. We can look forward to events in the future. But have you noticed as a human being, we're forced to live in the sacrament of the present moment. You can't live in three tenses at once. Anybody tried that? Anybody tried to live in past, present, and future? How's that working? It doesn't work well. You can only live in the present moment. We are forced to live in the right now. We're only guaranteed right now. So you can't borrow time. You can't borrow faith. You can't borrow character. So the implication of the story is you got to be ready at any point. Lamps need to be filled with oil. Lamp, lamp, lamps need to be lit, burning white hot. Be ready, because you don't know when the groom's coming. And there were five who noticed Jesus' term in the story. What does he call the five who didn't have enough oil? Foolish, right? He calls them that in verse 2, 3, and 8. Foolish, foolish. They're not like openly defiant. It's not like the five sat around and thought, I'm going to come up with a plan to wreck my life. I haven't sat with anybody who, you know, whose life's kind of gone over a cliff and we backed the train up and said, hey, did you sit down and kind of put a five-point plan together on how that thing was going to go completely over the cliff and disintegrate over there? No. This foolish, not an open defiance, not sitting down and thinking, yeah, I'm just going to waste my life. No one sits around and says, I just want to waste my life. How does it happen then? Just kind of a subtle death by inches. Kind of like my brother and I when we were growing up and my mom would leave the chores list on the table and she would come home after work and she'd say, um, 
boys, how come the dishwasher isn't unloaded? How come the grass isn't finished being cut? How come the floors aren't all vacuumed? And my brother and I would give the universal teenage boy response, which is, I don't know. I don't know. Why didn't you have enough oil in your lamps? I don't know. I put a sequence of questions on your notes. Why didn't you live more of your days on earth preparing for eternity? Why didn't you devote yourself to know God more deeply? Why didn't you love your spouse more completely and your kids more unconditionally? Why didn't you discover your spiritual gifts and use them to advance the kingdom? Why didn't you get involved in the life of the church? Why didn't you take a bold and courageous step for Christ? I don't know. Why didn't you develop a heart for your neighbors and the nations? Why didn't you pray great prayers? Why'd you spend so much time pursuing position and power and wealth? Why'd you allow insecurities and fears and pleasing others to drive you? Why'd you waste so much energy worrying about tomorrow so you miss the blessing of today? Why did you hear God's call and run the other way? Why weren't you prepared for the coming of the groom? I don't know. You see, there's this condition that sets in in our humanness that I just call a spiritual drift. That if we're not on it and attentive to it, it can lead you to a place where you're like the five bridesmaids on the outside of the banquet hall looking in, hearing too late, if only. Because church, here's what Jesus has guaranteed. He is coming back. And when he comes, here's his expectation for us from the story. His expectation is he wants to see his people with lamps full of oil and lit and burning white hot, ready to receive the groom. Because that's the metaphor in scripture, right? The bride of Christ is the body of Christ on earth. He's referred to as the groom that someday you know, someday he's going to blow the trumpet and he's going to declare one final time, I'm coming back and I'm going to get my bride. And what's he looking for? He's looking for a bridal party that's ready. Are you ready for him to come? Are you longing for him to come? And the phrase I want to attach to it today is I think this is a story about the spirituality of preparedness. The danger of procrastination, there's a whole lot more at stake here than we realize. And then there's a wisdom in preparedness. Preparedness being this, why would we put off to tomorrow what we know God wants done today? Why would we do that? When you don't know, the groom could come today. Gang, if he came today, would he find us ready? Would he find the lamp burning white hot? Would he find it filled with oil? As I put in your notes, verse 13 says, therefore, keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. Ephesians 2.10, Paul says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you see the link between what we're discussing here and the calling from Jeremiah 1 from last week? If you weren't here last week, catch up through the app, pull up the message, listen through. 
But the calling, right? We've been set apart and appointed to what? Ephesians 2.10 purpose. We've all been called to Christ. That's our salvation. We're called to become like Christ. That's our discipleship. And we're called to serve others and bless the world around us. That's our Ephesians 2.10 purpose. We're all called in that. We're called to Christ, salvation. We're called to become like Christ, discipleship. And we're called then to serve the world around us, to bless others through our Ephesians 2.10 purpose. And hear this now. When Jesus promises life to the full, do you know that that promise is directly tied to living in step with your calling? If you're struggling with experiencing a spiritual life where you feel like Jesus is talking about a fully alive life and you kind of haven't really experienced it or tasted it much lately, and you go, what's going on with that? A big part of it is being clear with our Ephesians 2.10 purpose and make sure our living is in step with our calling. Because you know a sure way not to experience the fully alive life is you hear the calling of God, you're like Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1, where you go, all right, God's formed me, God knows me, God set me apart, God has appointed me, he's made me an iron pillar, he's made me a bronze wall, he told me to look out and look at the almond trees, he's got all those promises, and then if you take those kinds of moments and you try to live 180 degrees the other direction, there is no peace in that, there is no rest in that, there is no life to the full in that. Because the Spirit's going to be at work in that kind of a life to get you to line up with your calling. Live in step with your calling is the John 10, 10 life. I've come that you might have life and have it to the full. Where's your full life? You're called to Christ. You're called to become like Christ. And then you're called to live flat out and wring out every ounce of life in you to fulfill your Ephesians 2.10 purpose. Because the stakes are high. Life is short. The needs of this world are great. Are you kidding me? There's so much to be done. And look at all that he's entrusted to us. And he says, hey, and you don't know when I'm going to blow the whistle. You don't know when the trumpet's going to blast. And that's it. It might be today. And so we're not all called to do the same thing, but we're all called to do something. And the challenge is, what's your something? Everybody's got to have a something. The something is your Ephesians 2.10 purpose. And it's got to be bigger than paying the bills and keeping the kids out of trouble. It's got to be bigger than that. That's too small. Raising kids so that what? Taking care of the bills so that what? Everybody's got to have a something. A contact point, right? With the brokenness of the world around us, with what God is doing in 190 nations, what's he doing? What is he calling us to do? Because we're called to him, we're called to become like him, and we're called to serve his purposes in this world. And when you get in that stream, hear me now, when you get in that stream, now I'm talking living. Now we're living. That's where life is found. And five of the bridesmaids in the story, they had it. They're in the party, they're in the banquet hall, the groom has come, they are ready, their lamps are burning. This is amazing, it's exactly as they envisioned it. And the other five, picture some of their family, right? So, what, how did you not have enough oil? What, how could you not be prepared for that? I don't know. And the spiritual drift led them to a place where they heard two phrases no one wants to hear. Too late. If only. 
So here are the couple who hosted us on our Thailand trip, Forrest and Pat. Forrest just retired from the Coast Guard. He was a helicopter pilot for the Coast Guard for a number of years. Pat taught elementary school for a number of years. Now they're in their retirement years from Seattle, Washington area. They could do a dozen different things in their retirement years. But what happened to him recently? If you were to talk to Forrest and Pat in the language of today, say they kind of got in the stream of their Ephesians 2.10 purpose for the last chapter of their life, thinking, hey, this is how they're going to spend the last chapter of their life. They're going to be on it and trying to end a million children getting sold into sex slavery. And so they're spending six months of their year in Chiang Mai, Thailand, in a little house in a neighborhood, and they're there to help that mission and ministry go forward. And if you talk to them, you'll see a fully alive Jeremiah 1 type life. You'll see almond tree stuff. And when you talk to them, you'll hear about a lot of iron pillar and bronze wall. But just because you begin to step out in your Ephesians 2, just like Jeremiah, right? He was called the weeping prophet, lest you think his life went easy. Just because you're living in the stream of that doesn't mean it's going to be easy street, but it means you're alive. And who doesn't want to spend their one and only life doing something that you know the God of the universe has called and created you to do? There's nothing like that in the whole world. Taste that and you won't turn away. And there's Forrest and Pat, which made me think about a number of you around here who, in a season of life where maybe circumstances are shifting around. If you notice how God does this, he'll shift the circumstances in our life around. Business stuff gets kind of turned a different direction, financial stuff, family stuff, health stuff. Circumstantially, things will get shifted around. And you know what's in the middle of all that? Sometimes there's a refinement and a clarity with our calling. He's saying, hey, have some of you thought about you? You could be a forest and pat. Doesn't mean you have to go to Chiang Mai, Thailand. It just means, would you? If God called you, would you go? It could be partnering with some things going on right here in the States. It could be doing something with Petula in Bosnia. It could be over in Berlin. It the point is, if God called, if he asked you, would you? Do you know what that's a picture of? That's people whose lamps are filled with oil, burning white hot and ready. And some of you in the latter chapters of your life have been entrusted with resources beyond what you could have ever imagined. Do you know where the fully alive life is in stewardship? Use those resources to accomplish something that far outlives your life and mine, that does something for eternity. The more you step into that, are you kidding me? I can't think of better checks to write than those kinds of checks. When I was sitting with some leaders over in Thailand and we're sitting at a house that you knew some people had written some checks that 30 girls are now living in and growing up in Christ in and are becoming fully functioning young ladies who are gonna go out into the world and have a job and build a family and eventually build a church and you're sitting in a house that you knew some people even in this church and on this side of the pond wrote some checks to get that kind of work done? Are you kidding me? Tell me what matters more than using our resources. Do some of those things. And that's where everybody's got a different kind of calling. Some of you have been entrusted with a lot of commas and zeros in your bank accounts. You know why? Because there's Ephesians 2.10 purpose. There's an arrow pointing to deploy those. Those are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And others of you have been given a burden and a passion for some things, and you know it, and God stirred you in it. And maybe you've been kind of trying to whatever, push it away, or 
you know, let me get through this season of life. Have you noticed we can always come up with what's the next? Let me get through, let me get through. And the danger of that procrastination is what? The groom could come tonight. And do you, I don't want to stand before him and say, well, Lord, I was just kind of waiting. I, I would just, I just waiting until I got through this. And then the wisdom is in preparedness. And the urgency is in today. Because here's the moment we're guaranteed. This moment right here. We're not guaranteed the next. We got no idea what tomorrow holds. But we got this one. And the question of the day is, if the groom came right now, how many lamps would he find filled with oil? How many wicks would he find that burn white hot? Called to Christ, called to become like Christ, on it with our Ephesians 2.10 purpose, spending our one and only life, having every ounce of our energy wrung out for his glorious purposes in this world. That's the fully alive life. And maybe it's a, a story like this where God can just tap on some things and say, hey, I want you to be open to something. And the covenant we need to make with him is just simply obey. All we have to do is just say yes. You got no idea where that's gonna lead, by the way. If you ask a Forrest and Pat, they had no idea when they said yes to their first trip with Remember New that it would end up four years later them living six months of their year there. They didn't know that. What did they say? They just said yes to the first step. And then they said yes to the next step. They said yes to the next step. That's how this life with God works. So what is it? Are you clear with your Ephesians 2.10 purpose? What's the bigger picture for which God's put you on this earth to do? And then if you are, is the living lining up and in step with the calling? Or does there need to be some adjustment? Because the bridesmaids who are ready for the bride, their lamps are filled with oil. And they're burning white hot. And they're ready. And the scripture says, here's the song we'll sing. Come, Lord Jesus, come. You know the people who sing that song? Are people who are ready. Let's be a people who are ready for him to come. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for a story like this that just kind of works its way down in the crevices of our heart, stirs some things in us. Holy Spirit, have your way. May we be a people who are prepared, ready, lamps full, burning white. God, I pray that you'd birth some visions, some clarity for Ephesians 2.10 purpose, some who are wrestling with it, simply saying, Lord, what is it you're calling me to do? Birth some visions and dreams and then give us a, a boldness and a, a courage by your spirit to step out and live in line with that calling. You're worthy, Lord. Thank you that you have called us to yourself. Thank you've called us to become like you. Thank you've invited us to be involved in what you're doing. 
in this world, stuff that's going to matter 100 years from now. Thank you of all the ways you could get your work done. You say, hey, join me in doing this. Thank you for the fully alive life that you offer. In Jesus' name, amen.